Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is David Palachuk. He is a marketing expert around branding. Uh, he's also an author, a uh, recent book, Branding Bud, The Commercialization of Cannabis. I am excited about this. This is a whole kind of area topic that uh, we've covered in sort of different bits and pieces, but uh, I'm looking forward to doing a real kind of focused episode on branding in the cannabis space. Um, you know, I think we are seeing the the world grow and change, uh, and as cannabis evolves, it's very clear that uh, brands are becoming uh, hugely important, and certainly as we move into more of a consolidation phase of the brand of the uh, cannabis industry. Uh, the, the brands that have established good, solid, known, uh, aware brands are going to be, uh, you know, in the forefront of of companies as as this starts to consolidate and as uh, we start to figure out how to really 
Uh, so I'm really excited for this conversation. I think the whole question of branding in cannabis is huge as we grow the industry, as we consolidate those companies that have good, recognizable brands will be in the forefront as things start to consolidate. So I'm excited to have a conversation around this. With that, David, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. You know, before we dig into the book and understand really what your view is and how you're helping cannabis companies with branding, let's get the backstory. How did you get into branding? How did you get into cannabis? What's the journey that you've been on? Well, it's been a long journey, actually, and uh, it's been decades, but you know, it, it all seems to have come full circle for me with the cannabis industry. I'll start off by saying that um, cannabis has always been in my life in one way, shape, or form. Uh, I, as a youngster, I was a professional skateboarder, again, always around cannabis. I then went to Parsons School of Design and came out and owned an art gallery and design gallery in New York City for many years, again, being around artists and designers and cannabis. And then after coming out of my MBA program, closing my gallery and going back to school for my MBA, I um, spent, uh, God, it's almost 25 years at American Express, MasterCard, Pepsi, and Microsoft having been recruited from New York to Seattle in 2006 and spending almost seven years at Microsoft. In 2012, the I-502 law passed here, which was the recreational adult use law that passed in Washington state. And I saw many of my friends leaving Amazon, leaving Starbucks, leaving Microsoft to get into the industry. And, and that's sure. really when I thought I could be true to who I was and, and find a place for myself. Yeah. Now, was it clear to you the way that you were going to enter cannabis is through your experience in branding or how, how did you kind of navigate that change? Well, initially, what I had realized as a friend of mine, a couple of friends had left Microsoft and they were starting what, what they believed and to this day has become a chain of uh, cannabis dispensaries. I started to consult with them. And what I realized very quickly was I actually had something to offer. And that was one, that I had owned an art gallery for many years. So I was able to and fully understood how to merchandise things, put things on pedestals, make them look pretty, and create an environment that was inviting. So that was really a differentiator in terms of their dispensary. But then even further, my time at American Express and MasterCard taught me to understand about consumers and, and and how they purchase. And really, there are two types of consumers that purchase. There are transactors, and they're the folks that know what they want. Let's say they're purchasing gas or their coffee. And then there are shoppers. And those shoppers are looking for an experience or to learn. And so when you walk into a cannabis dispensary, especially in the early days, you really had those two distinct consumers. And so yeah. there were people that knew their strains and knew their form factor. And then there were other people that just looked up at the wall and couldn't believe that cannabis came in beverages and edibles and topicals, <laughs> etc. Yeah. So I was able to find a place for myself initially in the industry, helping brands and dispensaries sort of differentiate themselves and, and think through the customer experience. And I'm curious, coming from you know, other industries, I'm always curious, people that sort of pivot into cannabis and have transitioned from a non-cannabis industry into cannabis. What did you find you could apply, translate, transfer effectively? And, and what didn't transfer so well? Like, what did you find that was really different from in the cannabis space than the other industries you've worked in? Well, I think initially, initially, it's, it's the culture, you know, so I had the knowledge coming out of the corporate world, but it's really being accepted within the industry. And, and now I've been in the industry for almost 12 years. So yeah. that has changed dramatically. But, 
you know, when I first started working at Dope Magazine, I always joked with the owners and I said, I'm going to take you from bros to pros. And, and you know, <laughs> I may, I may have to use that, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that truly is, you know, the, the suit or stoner or suit versus stoner culture. And, uh -huh. and that's, while that's being alleviated, you know, I was able to bridge that gap truly because of my background in skateboarding and in art and design. And I, I believe that once I was able to sit down at the table and talk to many in the cannabis industry in the early days in their language, they, they kind of overlooked that I was a, a bald, white, middle-aged man talking to them. And they were like, wow, this guy's pretty cool. He actually understands the industry and the culture. Yeah. But I think that was the biggest hurdle. Once I got beyond that, then I was able to apply my skills and my experience. So let's talk about the book. How did how did the idea of the book come about? Like, what was the beginnings of it? When did you first realize you were you were going to be writing a book on branding and cannabis? Well, I'll start off by saying I never thought I'd be a writer, number one, or an author for that matter. <laughs> um, but it started off. I took a role at Dope Magazine in Seattle for about three and a half years. My title was the VP of Brand Partnerships and Licensing. What I was able to do in that role was meet almost everyone in the industry, I should say, certainly back in the early days, and, and see how brands were developing. And as companies and brands were developing and new people were coming into the industry, realized that what was missing was was a voice in terms of branding and the you know the developing brand landscape in the cannabis industry you know initially there were farm brands then they started to become aspirational brands and then you know started to push out to have varying various meaning relative to their consumers but you know my time at dope magazine allowed me to basically help with the editorial calendar bring on people for the cover of the magazine and probably most in importantly, sort of up the level of editorial content. And, and in that, I started to write my three-page every month article called Branding Bud. And so after 26 or 27 months, I realized that I could um, take this and roll it up. And, uh, and there were some trends and data to back it up. And I could start to form it into a book that would help those not only in the industry think about how to develop brands, but those that are outside of the industry to sort of get a handle on what is the cannabis industry and how did it start and why is it different from all of the stereotypes that uh, that we understood the cannabis industry to be and um, and really just to get a handle on it there's there's no there's no really one point if if you will to jump on the train the train's already moving so i thought the book would be a, a platform if you will to sort of prep yourself to jump onto the train and who's the book for i mean you're writing for what audience and what are you hoping to gain out of this you know well well this is somewhat joking but initially when i left the corporate world and got into the cannabis industry and, and came out of the closet about it i thought i should write a book to explain to all of my friends in the corporate world and my family about what this industry really was and what the plant was really about and how misunderstood the plant was and all the people that had surrounded it for years so initially it started off as that but you know as I became more embedded into the industry and starting to see how it was developing and in some ways almost being a spokesperson at Dope Magazine for either the magazine and or brands related to the magazine and, and even at some points in time for the industry itself, just as the guy that is a normal guy, not, not a normal business guy, not a stoner, um, mm -hmm. you know, that 
that I felt I had a place and, and a justified sort of position after 25 years at the company, as I mentioned earlier, to talk about branding in the cannabis space and to start to enlighten people about cannabis and the cannabis industry in a way that would help normalize it. So, you know, to answer your question specifically, my goal was to help normalize cannabis and to bring a perspective that was understandable, that was pragmatic, and that was, there was an approach that would help whether it was just somebody interested in cannabis, interested in learning more about cannabis, investors potentially, and the, the average curious. And so let's let's do kind of a little uh, baselining level setting for folks. When we talk about brand marketing, what are we referring to, and what what is it that we're trying to do with brand marketing? Well, at the very core, to me, brand and brand marketing is. Um, let's start off with the brand. A brand is a promise, and brand marketing is the the attempt to deliver on that promise consistently. So, for those that are looking for um, a product. It's, it's essentially a promise. And if that brand can consistently deliver that product along with its promise, then there's really nothing more, you know, for a consumer to sort of follow or be loyal to. So this is clearly the same thing in the cannabis space. And as I started to, you know, realize who cannabis consumers were and how different they were mm-hmm. and, and, and what their need states were and their rituals in consuming cannabis you know, then it started to lead me into, you know, the deeper understanding of how all of the traditional marketing and branding aspects really fall into cannabis and cannabis products, along with cannabis consumers and their needs. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. And, you know, how is cannabis different? I guess, like when you look at um, how kind of branding and uh, brand marketing works in industries, typically, is cannabis different? How is it different? I mean, what do you notice in terms of just how the industry either is structured because of, you know, legal frameworks or because it's an early stage industry? Give, it, give us some the nuance that it comes to when, when comes, that comes up when you talk about cannabis brands and, and brand marketing. Well, you know, at, at a very high level, you know, cannabis marketing is, is very restricted and very regulated. So that's that at a top level, you know, should just be called out. You cannot market cannabis products like you can other products. Again, that that varies both, you know, obviously at the federal level where it is illegal, but then into the states, of course, where it is either medicinally or, or adult use recreationally legal. So the states vary. But often when I speak to brands, cannabis brands in particular will often say, look at how many followers I have on my social platforms. And my follow-up is often, that's great. Where do you sell your product? And while if they have a million followers, let's say in multiple states, but only sell in California, that may help them in their strategy in terms of where there's interest in their product and where they might want to go to either license their product or, you know, build an operating facility in that state. But at the end of the day, because it is so regulated, just because you have a million followers and you sell in Washington state, let's say 10,000 of those million might only live in Washington state and be able to buy your product. So, you know, brands need to be really smart about where and how they market their products in addition to figuring out, you know, all the rules and regulations of the cans and cans in the industry. Yeah. 
And so let's talk about the book in terms of what you specifically cover. What are some of the key points or, or walk us through what, what you've kind of covered in the book and why it's important for cannabis companies? What's in the book and why I think it's important for cannabis brand owners as well as and probably even more important for cannabis consumers and potential cannabis consumers is I start off with the basics. And, and really, the basics of cannabis are THC and CBD. And without going into those specifically here, I thought it was important to basically go through the basics. So starting off with what's the difference between THC and CBD? What's mm-hmm. the difference between sativa, hybrid, and indica? And how do those affect us? What are the constituent components in the plant? And I started to talk about terpenes a little bit and how terpenes are very similar to, if you will, aromatherapy. So, you know, indica, which leans toward the linalool terpene, is also found in lavender and chamomile. And those that are found in the sativa plant are pinene and limonene, which are also uplifting. So, you know, to, to liken it to that, I've, I've made some analogies so people understand that cannabis and, and its components, in this case, terpenes, are very much like aromatherapy. They can either relax you or uplift you. I go through form factor and um, actually uptake, rather, before I get into form factor, there's uh-huh. uptake. And there's uptake through inhalation or ingestion, transdermal patches and lotions. So I talk about that, which leads into bioavailability and dosing. So just getting the basics around what cannabis cannabis is, how it affects us. And then I jumped into form factors, which really translates into the flower itself, and then all the derivatives, if you will, of the flower. So after the flower, we jump into waxes and shatters and oils, then yeah. we into tinctures and capsules and topicals and edibles and beverages, and sort of end with a innovative chapter of um, sublingual slips and transdermal patches. And within those form factor chapters, the book talks about the varying brands. And really, even the one thing I did miss was the the brand stereotypes and, and the stereotyping of cannabis over the, the years and, yeah. and how that came about through prohibition and how that created the Cheech and Chongs and all of the you know various celebrities that have come out of out of or through or leveraging cannabis as part of their personality and persona. And then so finally after I talk about all the brands, I really break it down and come down to 14 cannabis brand archetypes. And while they are not mutually exclusive, they are really telling of um, of um, you know cannabis consumers and what they're looking for. Brand archetypes often overlay, as I said, they're not mutually exclusive. But you know, the there are fourteen, and I'm always happy to to hear other people find more. But you know, for example, it's a cultivator brand or a gender brand, a foodie brand, a health and wellness brand, a counterculture brand, prohibition brand, a nostalgic brand, charity, luxury, value, art and design, regional, novelty, and celebrity, and. You know, what I find is very much like any other consumer goods product, there are shortcuts that marketers and branders use to appeal to different types of consumers and sure. their, their need states and rituals and, you know, desires. And so the book talks through that and talks through in great length, you know, who cannabis consumers are. And I've worked with headset, I've worked with Matters Group, I've worked with Fortis Consulting, I've worked sure. with a number of different data companies to actually paired data with 
quantitative and qualitative information to you know come up with uh, with the summary of the book, uh, which really leads to you know who are cannabis consumers, what are they looking for, what is the future of cannabis, and how we as an industry can take the best practices from other existing industries and and really leapfrog where we need to go instead of reinventing the wheel. Yeah. And, and these archetypes, these were your kind of affinities around what you saw in the market or what you see as consumer kind of consumer groups or like, I guess, how did, how did you come up with these and kind of articulate them as as these archetypes? Well, I'll say it's taken me 12 years uh, to do it. <laughs> but but I mean, after many years in the industry, I guess it was about a year and a half ago, to be honest with you, it, it was at the Hall of Flowers in California where I was walking through and it just dawned on me that I was seeing the same archetypes over or different iterations of the same archetypes over and over, Um, you know, and it just became clear to me at, at that show. And I left that show saying that there were very clear archetypes. And over the course of the last year and a half or two years, I've seen other archetypes sort of come into play, you know, a value brand. I think that, you know, with people, willing to go out less and and willing to purchase more at any given given time. Um, Many value brands have sort of come onto the market. I've also seen, if you will, I'll call it a cozy archetype, anything from pantry to houseplant to a few others have come onto the market, which are just very warm and fuzzy. And I think yeah. that's, uh, you know, that's us also staying at home during the pandemic. So I don't know, sure. per- perhaps my next brand is called Sweatpants. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> leisure wear. That's leisure pot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how do people use these? I mean, is this a, a way to kind of quickly kind of figure out what category your brand is or should be and then kind of gives you some tools or strategies around developing it? Or what, how, how do you, how should a, a new brand or, or even an existing brand look at these archetypes exactly well well so that's a great question and um here's here's how i use it and um you know i just finished this weekend speaking at the usa cbd expo and had many brand owners come up to me after and say wow i've never i've never seen it formulated in such an equation and even though there's lots of room around this i i served it up as an equation and really for me it kind of goes like this if you understand who your consumers are and you can figure out their need state, which is their ritual or, or means of consumption, and I should say preferred means of consumption, or even habitual means of consumption. And then you determine what form factor best uh, fits for them. And, and typically form factors, at the very least, you know, come into discrete and indiscrete. And, and I'll just simply leave it as that. So, you know, one might be able to smoke cannabis and the smell of cannabis might not be offensive to those that are around them, and that's okay. Others, for example, stereotype here, a soccer mom, or somebody yeah. going out uh, during lunch, they might not be able to smoke and come back smelling like cannabis. So yeah. discrete versus indiscrete ties back into their form factor. Are they using a transdermal patch? Are they using a sublingual slip? I could go down the list. You know, relative to their, to their need state as well, is it additive or is it subtractive? Are they trying to remove something like alleviate pain or are they trying to add something like putting themselves in the, in the, in the right mood or focus? So what I do is, is basically I look at the consumers, what their need states are, what form factors apply to them, and then I overlay 
the brand archetypes onto those form factors and, and um, you know, understanding their needs and who they are so I can speak to them in the tone that they best understand and the language that they best understand, which allows us to, or the brand, to better serve up something that was designed for them, that is introduced and spoken in a tone that's meaningful to them, and that the form factor matches their need, state, and ritual. And finally, if you add those all up, which to me are the four pillars of you know brand and product development, knowing who your consumer is, knowing what their rituals and need states are, knowing what the form factors they use, and then overlaying those, those archetypes. And it could be a number of archetypes. It doesn't necessarily have to be one. That's how you will appeal and create a brand that's right for a customer. And it has seemed to work over the last 12 years since I've been in the industry. And, and so while it's somewhat formulaic, it is definitely expandable and malleable to, to sort of roll with whatever has happened in the cannabis industry. But I believe it to be more pragmatic and process oriented than certainly most of the brands and folks I know in the industry who you know, forgive me for saying it this, and, and I say it in an endearing way, but, you know, have taken a dad joke approach to the cannabis industry. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I hope to just bring a more thoughtful, pragmatic approach that, that really ties a brand back to its consumers in a way that's meaningful for its consumers. Yeah. Do you have any good examples of companies that, that have done a particularly good job in terms of creating a strong brand in cannabis? Sure. And, and you know, a strong brand in cannabis is is so interesting to me you know and just as a tangent here when the book came out many people said to me how could you write a book on cannabis branding there are no national or global cannabis brands and i beg to differ you know i I, right up front i'll say paps blue ribbon is in the california mark cannabis infused beverage market that's a national brand so there are national brands in the cannabis space as things open up they will open up and it will become more normalized and just like any other industry but even in the last in the last month in the last four weeks ellen degeneres mentioned her investment in can which is a cannabis infused beverage uh, chelsea yep. handler is part of that as well gwyneth paltrow is part of that as well stephen colbert not once not twice but three times had Seth Rogen on his show in one month talking about his new uh, cannabis brand, Houseplant. So it's definitely happening. And, uh, you know, we certainly know that um, Constellation Brands, as well as Altria and a number of other big corporations, as well as Pharma, are in the industry. So it's, it's just... Uh, it's just a matter of time before, you know, it starts to normalize and become another consumer product good. Yeah. And how do you think this is going to play out? I mean, obviously, we've got a lot of moving pieces in cannabis these days. As you mentioned, you know, we don't have federal legalization. You know, we're kind of the state by state market. You know, where what are going to be the big shifts? How is it going to change? Why is branding going to be really important for companies? Well, I'll start off by by answering your, your last question, why is branding going to be important for companies? Because branding is really the touch point with the consumer more than anything. Y- you know, is Coke really carbonated caramel water with sugar in it in a bottle? Or is Coke really have a Coke in the smile? You know, so the aspirational side of that typically is more important than any one single component or the 
you know, the, the individual ingredients uh, in a component. So I think branding will be important because it always is. It's our message to, it's our message for consistency. And that's what we seek as consumers. In terms of the industry itself and, and where the future is going, you know, I've been struggling with question, which is, is it an industry or is it an ingredient? And and the more I struggle with it, I actually think the answer is both. It's not one or the other. I believe the industry as we know it will exist. I, I think flower, cannabis flower will exist. There'll always be a need for it. But I think also as flower is extracted and you know evolved into isolates and distillates and those components are added into beverages and edibles they they will be you know the the ingredients you know at the end of the day the paps blue ribbon or the can or the brand will will really call us to the the product and and so i think the answer is both it's not industry or ingredient i think it's both and I think over time, as it's normalized and becomes federally legal, I do believe that all the brands that we know that uh, are in the vice business will get in the game and uh, will capitalize on it, just like they have on other things, you know, for better or for worse. But I think it's really a working both ends against the middle scenario where uh, we've got the small industry on one side and the big brands on the other side, and we'll all meet in the middle. Yeah. David, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about the book, what's the best way to get that information? Well, you could purchase the book right now on Amazon.com. Again, the title is Branding Bud, The Commercialization of Cannabis. You can find me on Instagram at Branding Bud. You can go to my site, which is BrandingBud.com, or you could write me directly at David at BrandingBud.com. Excellent. I'll make sure all that information is in the show notes so people can click through and get that. David, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Bruce. Likewise, I appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.